Welcome to the Thoroughbred Network. We are a regular podcast who feature a member of the equestrian world and the relationship with the Thoroughbred. In this episode, we're joined by eventing Olympian Rebel Morrow. We talk about her inspirational story of her off-the-track purchase, who not only took her to the Olympics, but inevitably became her horse of a lifetime. We discuss the importance of the Thoroughbred blood in the sport, as well as retraining Thoroughbreds to the correct Welcome to Thoroughbred Network. Thank you so much for joining us, Rebel Morrow. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so I really wanted to have a good chat to you today. Um, I've recently sort of met you in the last year after you relocated from Queensland and to New South Wales. You joined the team here at Bimberdeen with Shane and Nikki Rose. What an experience. How yeah, good? it's very cool. Like I've known Shane and Nikki for for a long time, since we were kids. So um, it's a, it's awesome, actually, to, to be amongst them now as, a, as grown-ups. That's so that's amazing. So we know you as a professional athlete in the, in the world of eventing, but I sort of really wanted to get stuck in to sort of how this came about um, and and sort of how we know you as today and the journey of that. And a big part of my upbringing is thoroughbreds. So I've been in racing um, my whole career, and I wanted to really have a chat to you about how important that is um, within within your sport. But let, let's start from the start and let's, uh, let's go back to sort of young rebel um, and your sort of upbringing in your childhood. My childhood was a, definitely a good childhood, a, a good upbringing because both my parents were involved in horses. Uh, their, their parents raced uh, the thoroughbreds. Mum took on the, the love of it. Dad didn't, he, he, but he, he had to when, when he, we married my mother and then I continued <laughs> on riding, so he just had to. Uh, but mum became a professional, uh, Western pleasure rider with, uh, Appaloosas actually. And so we did that for years and, uh, I, I was privileged to go to America in, in a couple of young rider teams. And, but this is how we, we moved into eventing to, to what I'm involved in now is because mum met, uh, Simon Kale, who was showing a Appaloosa stallion at that time. And he used to event it as well. And, um, pretty much as soon as we, felt the thrill of eventing um we we did start off with the Appaloosas but they just weren't gonna do what we <laughs> wanted to do in the eventing so that's where we moved into the thoroughbreds so um born and bred in Queensland yes I am yeah and it was just you and what siblings my bro- what's that sorry how many did you have any siblings I do have a sibling I have a brother yes he's a couple of years older than me amazing not into horses not anymore like we both because mum was a professional, like we both started out in horses, um, but he moved on to get married and have a family and a and a probably a lovely paying job and all those sort of things that I don't have. <laughs> no. no, and it, yeah, so no, he he moved out of horse, which was a shame, and in a sense because he was extremely talented, like just one of those naturally talented people that you go, they just don't have to work hard at things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no, he lives up in Queensland as well with my parents. I am, I come from Scotland and it's quite, um, we describe it as dreek, which really as means, as? Dreek, dreek, which sort of means it's grey and rainy yeah. quite a lot of the time. Yeah. But just sort of imagining your childhood out there in sunny Queensland, being outdoors with horses all the time. What, what an amazing childhood. Oh, it was. And because we were on a little property and dad had cows and, yeah, I had the best of best of everything, you know, and even where their property backed onto this massive uh, property that literally surrounded uh, the town of Kilcoy where I grew up and we'd always go out on the horses bareback and, 
you know, how we survived, I don't know, thinking back on it. But, yeah, I had an awesome, awesome childhood. And it sort of sounds like um, like a dream come true. You know, I, I, I came through ponies, but m- my parents were not particularly horsey. My mum went above and beyond and made herself horsey but wasn't particularly horsey. But I think it's such an amazing dream for you guys to have mum there, yeah. to be so horsey and to be able to help you and, and, and really sort of kickstart you off and, and with such – well-educated horses. Yeah, that's a dream. I, well, and that's what I was very fortunate in that sense. Um, the horses that I learned to ride on were all educated from mum. So, you know, I, you hear of other stories of, of people that parents don't even know how to hold a horse, you know, and they've managed to find their way to pony club and deal with learning how to ride with parents that aren't. And yep. my dad was, uh, he's a farrier as well, and <sighs> he had to take on the love of horses due to mum and you know, so I, I, I did not miss out on anything no. growing up. So I, I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm just thinking of being able to have a farrier at home. I watch my mare pull its shoes off for fun. That would <laughs> yeah, just, that's it. That is so handy. Yep. I, I swear my mare does that specifically just not to go anywhere. But if I could have just have someone to bang that shoe on I every know, day. I know. There's no excuses. How, yeah. That's, that's amazing. It's so beautiful. That, that really is. So you've, so where was your first turning point to say, I'm going to take eventing seriously? I guess it was like once I finished high school, like I went to grade 12 and I mean, I was never destined to do anything university wise. That just wasn't, wasn't my thing, but, um, and riding my horses. But I guess at that, you know, I did that for a good couple of years, not thinking again where this was going, like whether I was building to become a professional uh, equestrian, but I was offered the opportunity to move to New South Wales to work for Tasha Hammond and, uh, to groom for her and that's where it sort of started to come about you know once I started to live it and breathe it every day uh, and I was very fortunate to have already purchased Groover by that point and to go down there on a horse that was obviously talented and had the ability to go somewhere definitely started to to pave the way for me. Um, the start of Groover's life I, I, I really I really love his story and he um he was a pretty cheap buy. He was a very cheap, very cheap buy, but definitely at the time I, I did complain about having to spend three hundred dollars on him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know, and that's everyone's like, "You what? Only three hundred dollars, and you went to the Olympics?" And yeah, but at the time, you know, that was that was a lot of cans I used to have to pick up to save for those coins, you know. Um, but yes, it was just a, again the right place at the right time. My dad was shoeing with the farrier that shod. Uh, the owner of sorry of Groover so and he was going out on a spell and they wanted to retry him in the races but I was able to bring the horse back into work for them to see whether he was going to be suitable for what I wanted to do if he didn't end up racing well for them um and this is the the iron irony of it at that point in my life obviously I was only young 17 18 because I just finished school and I had no idea what it was like to sit on a horse that had been to the Olympics never Never had, as in anyone else's horse. And it was the second day I rode Groover and I gave him a little jump and and I turned around to my mum and I said, if I was to go to the Olympics, this would be the horse that I'd be riding. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, that that just was a, a, a comment because of how, how, how naturally – easily he found it and you could feel the enjoyment in the horse too you know of what it, of what he did um but Groover actually 
I had to go through quite an extensive um, uh, extensive operations on him because he, he was diagnosed with ethmoid hematomas. Right. Um, so while I had him, he had this discharge coming out of his nostrils and uh, when the guys took him back to take him back to racing, I said to them, you better just get him take, – take him to the bed on the way back because he's – like the last few days he's had this stuff come out of his nose. I'm not sure what it is. He might have hit his head rolling because he loved rolling all the time. Like he was a pig in – Pig in mud, is the saying, isn't it? Yeah, pig in mud. That's correct. And so they did do that when they picked him up and then they rang me and they said he's got ethmoid hematomas and they they didn't want – because it is quite extensive to, to yep. treat a horse with with that. Um, yeah, so he wasn't a proven racehorse for them at that point in time, so they were looking at a different avenue. So that's where I then – I took him on and uh, – yeah, and and went about it, and went about all these operations over the over the years, and yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a sign of a tough horse, isn't it? Really, um, when they're coming through those sort of operations and still being a champion on the other side. Well, and the irony of it again in these passing comments when I look back on it, because Groove definitely did have his head opened up four times, and it was after the second time, and I was quite distraught about having to go through it with with the horse and whether I was doing the right thing you know and this is where I I I said to Nick like should I you know I I have no idea how much pain the horse was going through and things like that but he he actually reassured me that um you know it's a it's a week it's a week long thing of him him coping with the 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 open opening his head up he said but he said this horse is definitely destined for something great. He says not many horses can go on the table and do what he's done and come out the other side as fresh as a daisy, which which he did, which he did every time. And this is which enabled me to still keep progressing in Groover's career. He actually uh, it was only literally a week's rest and then I could work the horse again because I mean it was it was his head, yeah. it was his skull. So it wasn't like an injured leg where you have to have a certain amount Wait, of rest baby. in that sense. So his operations would get planned after a three-day event because back in those days, obviously, uh, that was a long format. So you would give your horse a good three-month-old yep. off after a big event like that. So he had time to recover and so his career never never missed a beat actually in the sense of, of that. So, yeah. So lucky. And so, so when we look at eventing, actually started as a military sport in the Olympics, sort of progressed – uh, I think badminton horse trials was one of the first ones to um, bring around and actually make it a sport out yeah. with the Olympics. And at that point, it was long format. What did that mean? <laughs> oh, long format, yeah. Long format meant a lot of hours in the saddle that we had to train the horses <laughs> to get them fit enough to do their long format at the three-day event. Well, it, it involved going out and doing a roads and tracks where we would do probably the first section. So we had a a, B, C, and D phase, whereas now we just have the D phase, which is cross-country. But A phase would be uh, going on the roads and tracks where we would do up to 15 minutes trotting. And then then the B phase would be the steeplechase. <laughs> and that's when we would have eight, eight brush fences over a th- at least a three-minute gallop uh, to do it. And then we would go back to doing uh, another roads and tracks, which again would be another 15 to 18 minutes. And then we go into a 10-minute box where your horse would have to recover and this is where your fitness would come into it, how much work you've done prior to getting there. And then the vets would check them to make sure that their heart rate had gone down and they are fit and well and healthy to then go out and do the D phase, which would be 
uh, a good eight eight minutes uh, cross country round of then covering about twenty five fences. Okay, and I suppose at that point, the thoroughbred blood is probably imperative. It was very imperative. That's that's right because they needed to have the the, the staying power and the endurance to be able to cope for that because that that actually went for a good hour you know an hour an hour and 20 minutes all up by the time we started to tack them up warm them up go out and do all that like that was a massive day for them and then to have to front up for the next day of doing the show jumping so the three-day event was a was a massive thing back in the day and that's where the uh, thoroughbreds had to were the choice were just yeah you, you really needed one to keep the endurance and then we sort of seen eventing evolve again into what we now call the short format which is a which is much more uh, palatable, would you yes, say? <laughs> it, it is, 100%. And that came in for the Athens Olympics that I went to in 2004. Um, and, I, and I don't think there's anyone complaining about it. You know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure at the time people would be like, ah, oh, that takes away the whatever of the sport and the military side of the sport and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I do get that. Um, and it was, and I'm glad I still grew up in the era where we learned how to do, do that and, and, get a horse fit for that um but we definitely have horses lasting longer in the sport now the sport. and that's that's the main thing we've probably seen a, a difference in phase d which was the cross country because now that we didn't have a b and c you probably had to make these courses just that little bit trickier a bit well that's technical. right and that's where the courses became a lot more technical um and they became longer so yeah. so when we had the 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 long format the cross country only ran for about eight minutes yeah whereas now in the short format it can run up to 11 10 to 11 11 11 minutes definitely um yes and you'll have more elements to the cross country cross country so when was your first outing with groover well i took him to uh we were doing a, a a competition in brisbane at mount cravat and I was riding other horses there because I'd probably only had Groover a week. <laughs> and, but he got brought along. And I, um, but not to compete in there, I was just going to ride him after the event. And so I, I went out and just popped over a few little cross country fences. And then, you know, as mum puts it next minute, you could just see me literally just randomly jumping all these different fences with this big smile on my face. So <laughs> that was my first outing, outing, you know, and that was, yeah, it was definitely, he was not going back to racing from that point on, that's for sure. Um, yeah. And so what, what was the process? You guys had came up and being very successful in the scene. And what was the process that you really felt? What was the time you really felt we've got a shot at the Olympics here? When I felt there was the turning of him, me and him going, ah, you know, I, I guess it was, it was, again, I, I, even when I had him, I never, I never just sort of started to put it all in play of going, I need to do this event to get here, this event to get here. I just enjoyed riding. I enjoyed everything about what I was doing, working for Tasha and things like that. And, but I think it was then starting to hear what other people thought of us as a combination. And yeah, then it became more of a realization that I, I do have what it takes. It's not just the horse, you know, and so, I, look, it, it, one thing led to another. You, you win one competition, then all of a sudden you get exposed to going on a squad. 
Um, and then you get exposed to being taught by other great Olympians that have come over to train the squad. And, you know, you start getting quite excited about all that and you want to be a part of it. And, um, but it would have been when, you know, like I honestly can't remember what competition it was that then put me on the elite squad, which was, which was then, yeah, would have just uh, started to pave the way for <laughs> me, me getting selected to go to the Athens Olympics in 2000. And so, how do you get selected? Did they just call you up and say, "Hey, guess what?" Well, at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the day, it was they called me into a room and sat me down. <laughs> oh, there so, you go. <laughs> um, but no, it was when I it was when I won the uh, Sydney uh, f- short short for they did run it as a short format the Sydney the Sydney event uh, in two thousand and four. And yes, I, I won that on Groove and I came fifth on another horse that I was riding at the time. Shane was in the lineup and Stuart Tinney was in the lineup. Those guys were both at that same competition. And, but winning the event was definitely the sealing the deal the for me to go. And uh, I was the, the youngest member on that team that year. So, and being the first time out and, and not for me not to have left Australia too to get selected was a big deal at that time yep. because, uh, you know, it was a, a known thing or a done thing that these guys would – and it was a big deal, you know, financially to put yourself out there, to go overseas, to take your horse and, and campaign over there. So it was a big thing for the, the selectors to pick me as an Australian-based rider to go over and do that. And, I mean, it all – it paid off because they, they do that more often now. Yep. Um, because I end up being the highest place Aussie at, at the Olympics Games. So it can be done. you got the right horse and you have the passion and the talent and the ability. Yeah, you don't have to go overseas to do it. You can do it from home. And that's where Shane, this is his home, Australia is his home, and he will always do it from here. So, yeah, yeah and that's good. And was he a bit of a champion to travel, Groover? Did he, he enjoy was. the travel? Luckily, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, uh, but funnily enough, when we got him to England, he slept for like about a week like, and they were concerned that he was unwell because he would just spend the whole time laying down and that was his thing of recovering. But um, when I first got him and started taking him to the shows, he would lay down in the truck, you know. He'd be still tied up and he'd be laid down and I'd get this announcement, oh, Reverend Morgan, go back to your truck, your horses. I'd get back there and he'd be like, oh, no, that's right, he's just recovering, he's tired. He's having a nap. So he was a really laid back cool dude. Cool dude. But as laid back as he was, when you would enter an arena, he you you would instantly feel the horse just puff out his chest. He loved it. Like he didn't love racing; that wasn't his thing. But you put him in a dressage arena or show jump arena, he loved it. You know. <laughs> so, and so we've seen that transition. So you spent most of your time campaigning him from Queensland. No, I, it started off in Queensland, but that's when I moved down to work for Tasha. Tasha. So then it, then I got on the elite squad down in New South Wales, right. and then I ended up basing down in New South Wales. So I, I would say most of the, definitely three quarters of the career was done here in New South Wales. What was mum and dad's reaction at the Olympics? Did they go? Yeah, they went. 100%. <laughs> 100% they went. And Dad, actually, he put the shoes on. He, he shot Groover. Oh, which, 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 which was a massive, a massive thing. And I had no idea the pressure I put him under. 
You know, 100%. like he's my dad. He's always shot my horse. I, I did not even think. I think I think of it now, and now I'm aware of it, and was told like how stressful he was. And I can remember when he was showing him, he was sweating like sweating terribly. <laughs> Again, but the stress I put him under. Could you imagine that? You know, <laughs> oh, my horse didn't trot up south. So my dad shot it. You know, <laughs> poor bugger. But yeah, they they came and they were amazing and. I'm out on cross country, you know, galloping along, going through the crowd as it was all bunted off. I was seeing there's crowds everywhere. And I've come around one, this one corner. I don't I have no idea which jump I was heading towards. And then at the end of the, on the corner, I see this man with his flag and this hat on it, 100% rebel. And I went, <laughs> past my dad. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, and I, I heard him go around. So that was, that was a big deal. I'm like, oh my God, I concentrate, concentrate. But it was nice. It's a beautiful you know? memory. To yeah, take from yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after the Olympics, I, I went um, holidaying with those guys for a week over in, oh, on the Greek Isles. Like, how stop. could you? How could you not? You yeah. know, it was it was awesome. Awesome. Did you stay in New South Wales? Did you go back to your home? Your hometown. I went back to Queensland to start my business back in my home state. Um, did that for years. Probably was it was about ten years old. You know, um, but then my parents bought. Uh, a property down in New South Wales. So, because, you know, I, I loved, I, I always loved New South Wales. Like that wasn't, I didn't, I didn't move home because I disliked being down here in this state. Um, so, yeah, then eventually moved back down to New South Wales uh, again and, and moved into that property. And, but, you know, life as it is and how things all evolve and don't know how it all came about. But then being over in the Tryon actually last year, talking to Nikki and um, we were just speaking about Shane's business down here and all this sort of stuff and how he could utilise someone like me and we just generally were chatting about it like that and they rang me up at Christmas time, not just gone the time before, and said, what are you up to? Do you want to come on down? And I went, you know what, I think at this point in my my life and where I'm at and, you know, I was sort of a little, I wouldn't say over it, but it was a, a thing of, you know, I had my truck and I had this and that and just sometimes things get you paying for this and that and just trying to run a business and trying to run a life and trying to run all those sort of things. So I was looking for a bit of a change. It just sort of came about at the right time. Um, and definitely it's been a, it's been a, the, the best decision I've made to date for a long time. So what is it? So what, what would be your position with Nikki and Shane? What is it that you would do here at Bimberdeen? I ride all Shane's, uh, young performance horses. So the horses that he's, bred like they like to breed at least five a year and and then I also ride he gets quite a lot of horses come back thoroughbreds come back to him that he's uh either broken in pre-trained or whatever and he's and with some of his owners that he has they've been sent back to him and then I turn those guys into hopefully uh you know high level eventers or I find homes for them that are going to suit other people uh to do low level eventing on so my main my main job is just literally looking after the eventing horses. Groover was the love of your life. I know it, and you, you'll very possibly never find anyone that'll ever. No, you know, whatever horse you come across, he was still your main man that, that, that took you there. Absolutely. But you do have another man on on the scene. I do. I do have <laughs> another man on the scene. As of as of this time last year. And yes, a good friend of mine who lives down here with her husband now, she had him at the, one of Shane's jump clubs there at Camden. 
and he was a cheeky little cheeky little horse <laughs> going around and and Kirsty Douglas she's like a, a brilliant little jockey you know and and she said to me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of selling him. He'd probably suit you. I said, like, which part? Just because he's a cheeky little bug. <laughs> cheeky little bug. I said, I'm past that timing in my life. You know, Jesus, I'm really whatever age I am. I said, no, I need something settled and easy. And I don't think cheeky like him. She says, no, no, you need to come and try him. And yeah, and I did. And then I, I brought him here for a couple of days and, and Ringer hopped on him and he, he liked him instantly. You know, he, he definitely said this horse will suit you, suit your personality and um, I think our personalities did clash for a while when I first got him. <laughs> Just, but now he is, and this is it sitting on that. Well, that's, a, this is the third horse that I've sat on that I've gone. This horse can take you to where you want to go. Um, that have been of mine and, and the other horse in between Groover and, and Max was actually a full sister to Groover. Right. Um, Hillgrove Enviable. So she was, she was very, yeah. Uh, an awesome horse so she had the ability and definitely Maximus Prime does as well so I'm super excited (laughs) about that. So one thing that intrigues me in eventing is ownership. In um, racing we have sole ownership, we have partners but syndicates is a really big thing um, in racing and I see it so slowly creeping into eventing. Um, Would you own Maximus yourself? I own Max outright now, yes I do. But uh, the time I spent in America there a couple of years ago, all the top riders over there, and in England mostly too, like Chris Burton and um, and then Boyd Martin over in, in America, they have all their top-level horses syndicate yep. uh, in a syndicate. Um, it makes it so much more affordable for, for people and it makes it easier for us guys to run those horses at the top level because as you, the cheapest part about getting a horse is the initial purchasing it. From then on, especially if they're going to go up and up in the grades, and I don't know how that goes in racing, but from then on, everything gets more expensive. Yep. Um, as you go, uh, as you go up in the grades, um, to travel here, to travel there, to do this and do that with them. So I know for a fact, a hundred percent of a fact, because I've, I've been to Olympics once before and I know what sort of horse it takes. I, I, I can put a hundred percent behind Maximus Prime knowing that he's going to be that horse. So this is something that I want to do for my first time having this interview together because I've all of my time with with clients and 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 friends and things like that. There's a lot of people that do want to help back me, and now that I feel that I've definitely found that horse that can take me all the way again, this is where I will. Um, I would love those people to come on board that have always offered it in the past, but I've just never been. And that's it. It's timing in life. I've never been in the right position, never had the right horse. Um, but I have all that now. Yep. And being down here with Shane and Nikki, back in New South Wales, back where, I mean, it just, just even being here for the year, who I've been exposed to, um, being here. Uh, so, yes, I'm very excited about uh, and putting Max up for my first syndicate. That's amazing. So, I mean, you know, and to have a proper horse underneath you. Proper horse. It's good to say that. That's it. I've got a proper horse. This You're is, right. He's a proper He's a proper horse. This is what dreams are made of, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Horses like Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a proper little pain in the ass too <laughs> some days, you know, but that's all part of it. But you what know, you have to take that, that quirky, arrogant personality. It's all, it's all part of it. What know? a great opportunity for someone who's, who's really passionate about, you know, about eventing and to, and to have a top-level rider, have one and declare one that you've got himself. Absolutely. And it is an amazing journey for everybody involved. Yeah. And it is 
uh, I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, uh, like in racing, there's, there's more of a financial gain to to the to the winning. Yep. But definitely not in our sport. That's not part of it. Yep. It's just literally, it's just literally what you accomplish getting there, what you do as a partnership with a horse, and then you know to ha- how much enjoyment's out of all that for everybody. Um, God, and, and the ribbons. I love the ribbons. Oddly <laughs> enough, I love the ribbons. I love the colours and the, all the bits and pieces. Even if it's a bag of feed, there's just something in that for me in prize giving. Oh, God. Yeah. And, you know, talking about, about that big part of this industry of helping you top-level riders get from A to B is having that support network. And a big part of your support network is sponsors. Yes. Isn't it? Who, who, who have you had sponsors that have aligned with you that have supported you? Rose Hip Vital. They're mm. awesome because they look after me as well. Yep. They look after my aging body as well. <laughs> so that, that's awesome that they can do, do both. And even my dog, they're fantastic for my beautiful dog back home that uh, mum and dad look after, honey dog. Um, so yes, it's keeping us all still as young and well as we can possibly be. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Backing, sponsorship, parents. Friends, all of that, all, all helps to make this, this the inner circle. Awesome. Um, so we're so we're now firmly sort of down here. You've got Max down here, um, down here at Bimbadine. Anyone? So what sort of services you're providing? You're still coaching. You've always coached, haven't you? I love coaching, and that was uh, Tasha got me into coaching years ago, and yep. because uh, she said to me, "It's only going to better your riding." At yep. the time, I really didn't understand that, but it does to yep. what what you learn from sitting on other people's horses, what you learn from watching other people ride to then advising them how to do it. It it does, you know, and uh, I've never regretted it and I really enjoy it. Like a lot, a lot of people don't enjoy coaching so that they'll just stick to the riding, but I actually really enjoy, I enjoy the interaction too of getting to know new people like yourself. Um, I enjoy all that, that aspect of it as well. And there is so, something so beneficial to getting whoever to whatever level they want to. Yep. You know, and, and, that, and this is a, a thing. Some people feel intimidated to have a lesson of someone that's been in the Olympics, but it's not, a, it's not about that. I'm, I'm there to get you to achieve whatever you want to achieve. You know, not everyone needs to go to the Olympics. Not everyone needs to go to this level, that level. But if you just want to be safe and enjoy what you do and go out and, you know, that's all I'm here for as well, you know. So yeah, teaching is a massive part for me as well. That's tremendous. Rebel, I think I think your journey has been superb. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you and talking to you. And I sort of felt, especially when you're telling me about your dad, I felt like I was right there at Athens with you, watching him shoe that horse, yeah, thinking, poor "Do what?" <laughs> um, and so much of your career has been involved around the thoroughbred. I think that's so important for people to see that that they don't just run around the circle on the racetrack. There's so much more than that. Um, and and a bit like Groover, they can go to places that you never even imagined they can go. You know, there's a lot of people that would have probably came across Groover on the racetrack as just a horse. Yes, yeah. But he was he became so much more than that to you and he took you both somewhere that was that was beyond your wildest dreams even, would you like 100%, to say? Yeah. Um and I think and I think that's such an amazing story and I really hope that people see that from the thoroughbred point of view that they're not all champions. They're, they're actually just not all champions. Yeah. But you can turn them into something and they're so rewarding. And thoroughbreds give back in ways that 
that is just, it's mesmerizing, isn't it? It really is. Oh, 100%. Really That's what's good when the uh, racehorses have retired from, from racing that they come to professionals like, like Shane and, and, and I that, cause then we can help find them there forever home, you know, and, not, and that's it. Not every horse on the track is going to go to the Olympics or be a top level performance horse. They could just be a top level pleasure horse with someone in the backyard if that's what they're meant to do. Yeah. And, but having guys like us find that, you know, for them, because just finding what they are initially going to enjoy for the rest of their time. And, and I, and that I find that extremely rewarding to, to be able to match those horses up with, with, with their, people. um, with those people. Amazing. Yeah. So looking forward, Rebel, how do, how do our listeners keep in touch with you? If we're able to follow you and follow Max, how's your, how is your best way? Are you on social media? What's yeah, I'm on going? social media, on Instagram. So, uh, Rebel Morrow, just R-E-B-E-L and Morrow, M-O-R-R-O-W, not the comedian. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this, and then f- funny story, I put my car in to get service the other day and, they give me my keys back with Rebel Wilson written on it. That's the comedian. Yeah, everywhere. That's right. And they did. When they handed me the keys, they did laugh a little bit. I'm like, that's odd. But yeah, no. So just Rebel Morrow, and you'll you'll definitely find me on Very social media. And also for any prospective people that would really love an opportunity to get involved in a top syndicate with an up and coming horse at the top rider, would you welcome them? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, I would welcome them. Yeah, so they can it's, contact it's an you awesome at any journey. time to yeah. to get involved in the dream, and that's Definitely. amazing. I think that's a, I think for any of you listening out there who've ever thought about wanting to get involved, this is an opportunity that I wouldn't be missing. I'm I'm um, I, I'm involved in a couple of resources myself, and I'm trying to teach my husband to get us into eventing. <laughs> but this looks like an amazing opportunity, Rebel, and I wish you all the best of luck with you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll speak soon. We'll do. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Thoroughbred Network. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and keep up to date with all the future guests on our website, thethoroughbrednetwork.com.au.